For this episode, I'd like to invite you to ride shotgun with long-haul truck driver and photographer Ryan Shirosky. Ryan and I spoke while he was driving from Salt Lake City, Utah to Los Angeles. During this trip, we get into all sorts of fun stuff like how Ryan got into the truck driving business after art school, and we even get into some stories from the road. I don't know about you, but I've always been fascinated to know the specifics of how someone gets into that line of work. We also talk about what it was like for him to synthesize his vocation into his aesthetic vision. I think Ryan captures the reality of being a truck driver with a sense of romance. His aesthetic is bold and vivid, and overall I think his entire body of work shows a very compelling and unique portrait of America that doesn't get seen enough. I also don't think anyone else can capture the beauty of Magic Hour in the Southwest like Ryan. I strongly recommend you check out his work on Instagram. I'll make sure there's a link to it in the bio of this episode. And what else can I say? I admire the hell out of Ryan's work ethic and his creative output. I hope this episode helps you slow down the free fall of our current moment. So sit back and enjoy the ride. I know that you're from South New Jersey and your father was a long haul trucker, correct? No, he wasn't a long haul trucker, but he's been driving trucks like locally and, and regionally for like 30 years. So his, was, his job was like more so in like a nine to five kind of thing. He'd be gone for like a night or two at most when I was younger, but you know, from that, I mean, I kind of grew up like going out some days on his truck with him, like working and stuff like that. So that's definitely where the connection comes from. And I think whether I like it or not, it's kind of just in my blood. Did he encourage you to uh, pursue this or to follow in his footsteps? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to uh, I went to art school in New York and I studied photography and. Kind of as like a joke, I was I had lunch with him one day like a month before I was I was graduating my senior year, and he was asking me what my plans were for after school, and I like I said jokingly I was gonna go drive a, a, a semi, and he kind of got all pissed off because he was like you know like here he is like him and my mom you know working paycheck to paycheck their whole lives and barely getting like me and my younger sister through college, and it's like you know the last thing he wants to see me go do is drive a truck knows just how grueling it is but um kind of like in that joke something stuck with me and then sure enough like finished school and kind of felt like leaving new york and like two or three months after i i graduated uh that summer i pretty much decided to like take a greyhound bus out to missouri from new york and uh i started like the whole process of basically getting my cdl working for a major trucking company and that was 2014. I basically spent that entire year uh, long haul trucking, like all 48 states. And why did you choose Missouri? I kind of looked into some of the companies that were the better ones to drive for because it's such a hit or miss and trucking can be such a shit show. And the company I landed on is based in Missouri. So I ended up going out there and spent like the first three weeks or almost a month, like basically living in a trucker motel, like a motel that the company had bought and just like, houses, you know, student drivers and uh, like company drivers. So I basically got thrown into this trucker motel and went through a couple week process of, you know, taking like written tests to get your CDL and 
doing like literally like video game simulations for semi driving and then upgrading to practicing driving a semi around a parking lot and doing different like you know parallel parking it or you know 90 degree alley alley backing it and eventually went out for two weeks with my permit almost like a test run you kind of get enough miles to under your belt as a permit student driver then you come back and that's when you basically take like your state test that's that's uh examined by like state police walk me through that first day on the job what was it like where did you go (laughs) i was pretty wild i mean i don't know what i would say officially my first day on the job was but i definitely remember pretty vividly like literally the first time like driving the semi like independently just by myself like when i was that first week out as a permit driver so obviously like you have you know somebody who's a licensed cdl holder like trucker in a passenger seat but that first time he basically just like threw me the keys i was in oklahoma city and he was like all right it's your turn to drive and i was kind of had that like first few minutes where i was like holy shit I, this can't be real <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you know like kind of like definitely nerve-wracking like you know like white knuckle gripping the steering wheel and but, I mean, fortunately, it kind of, you know, like anything, I think it just starts to slowly ease up and you get a little bit more comfortable. But, I mean, it was definitely nerve-wracking. And, I mean, that whole, like, first – that's how it, I guess I would describe the first day. It was, like, leaving Missouri. I mean, he picked me up at, like, 11 o'clock at night or something. I literally jumped on his truck and drove from Springfield, Missouri, down to Oklahoma City overnight i slept in the you know in his bed while he drove so i woke up that next morning you know like just i felt like i was in a dream basically you know waking up in the back of a semi somebody somebody semi truck getting ready to like start this whole journey and like funny enough we stopped this truck stop in oklahoma city and got out to just like go get a snack and use the restroom and stuff and uh sure enough like like one of the questions i always get asked by people is like you know do you ever see like you know, prostitution or sex work at truck stops and stuff. And funny <laughs> enough, it's like pretty, it's a pretty rare thing to see nowadays. And even back then, it was 2014, 15, like I barely saw it the entire year. But funny enough, like that very first truck stop, I got out of his truck and like got approached by like three women. And of course, like me, just you know, not knowing what the hell was going on, I started talking to them because they were asking about selling some kind of like magazines or some shit. And I'm thinking they're being serious. And I remember just, like, looking back at him and him giving me this look, like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of, like, that, that was kind of, like, my, I guess you'd say, like, that, like, I don't know, baptism, like, trial by fire into mm-hmm. the whole thing. And what was the trucker hotel like? I'm really uh, curious about, like, what was that scene like? Were there any other people that were like yourself that had gone to some sort of fine arts college and made a left a sharp left turn in life and decided to do this or was it like did you kind of feel alienated from the situation i definitely i don't i wouldn't say i felt alienated because i've always been attracted to just throw myself into just like wildly different situations like things that i would neither feel comfortable in or things i know nothing about in a lot of ways but i wouldn't say i felt alienated but i definitely was like probably the youngest there and then on top of that like yeah i mean nobody else was you know coming from new york city or straight out of art school i mean that was definitely like put me in a, in a singular place in that sense i mean everybody else for the most part was 
like very blue collar background, lower, you know, lower class, like poverty line almost. So, I mean, I was kind of thrown right into it in that sense. And, I mean, a trucker motel was kind of hysterical because it was like you literally, like you're a student driver, so they're not going to, they don't, you don't even give you your, your own room. You know, you basically share, you know, a double bed, like a double bed motel room with a complete stranger. So uh, first day I walked in, you know, I just walked in to, you know, some guy in the room who was middle-aged, like, trucker from Texas that was getting back into trucking. So, you know, like, within 10 minutes, I'm sitting at this, like, table, this motel that's, like, straight from the 1970s that hasn't been, you know, touched in 30, 40 years. And I'm sitting there talking to this guy from Texas about truck driving, and I was like, all right, I guess, I guess I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I guess just to give the listeners more of a context, walk me through a normal day of being a truck driver. <laughs> I mean, there's different versions of a normal day, but it's it's usually like you're up at five, six in the morning. You get maybe a half hour, like an hour to yourself if you get up a little bit earlier. So for me, it's like, you know, I'd wake up in some middle of nowhere spot, like off of the highway or a truck stop somewhere and, I'd get out, you know, like, I'd make my, like, oatmeal and instant coffee in my truck and get out to my stretches, like, do my little workout routine that I would do, like, every morning and basically just, like, hit the road and spend most of that day, like, either driving or, you know, going to deliver somewhere and then reloading. So you're pretty much tied up from a normal day from, like, 6, 7 a.m. to, like, probably 7, 8 o'clock at night maybe nine, where it's like a combination of driving, you're delivering somewhere, you have to go to a job site, you know, unload some crane parts, like wait for them to unload it, get all that figured out, you know, put away all your your straps and your tarps and all that stuff, and then hit the road, go reload before a business closes, you know, at four or five o'clock. And then, you know, at the end of all that, you kind of got to muster up energy to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try and drive a couple hundred miles, you know, just to put myself in a good spot for tomorrow morning. So most days like that, I wouldn't finish until nine, 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, at that point, yeah, you're pretty much drained, but when you do it over and over and over, especially after, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months, but you kind of just find that you have this like fourth and fifth wind and 10 o'clock at night, I'd be out doing a workout again get my body feeling good or, you know, make, try to make a nice dinner on the road somewhere or, you know, go out for a run depending on where I was and then, you know, pretty much get five, six hours of sleep and then do it all over again. And are you able to pick where your routes are or like what part of the United States you want to be driving in? I mean, it totally depends. If you, if you own your own truck as an owner operator, you know, you have full say on the loads you want to take, the routes you want to run. If you drive as a company driver, you know, whether it's for a big company, small company, they're going to mostly dictate where you go. I mean, I had a good relationship with, with my boss and, you know, it's a small family run company. So I always enjoyed the excitement of like not knowing where I was going. So there's plenty of times where I just wouldn't even mention where I wanted to be or wanted to go just because I know I'd find out like all of a sudden I'm going to Florida or so it's always like that fun spontaneity of that. And then other times, you know, if it lined up or I just, you know, I wanted to go visit some friends or family somewhere, 
you know, I can kind of put the word out, hey, I want to be in this area, you know, next week or in two weeks. And, you know, fortunately, it just kind of, for the most part, always made it work out where I was able to be somewhere where, where I wanted to be. And when you were a kid, did you already have an interest in photography? Did you ever take photos of your father or while you were driving with your father? Did those two uh, passions synthesize at that point or did that happen later on in life? It kind of happened later on. I mean, I know, like, I always love when people have those stories of, like, oh, yeah, I got my first camera at age six and, been, and was in the dark room at age eight. But honestly, like, I didn't touch a camera, I think, until I was, like, 18, maybe. I mean, funny enough, it was, like, a 35-millimeter camera that my mom had given me. It was Cheryl's camera. But, um, I mean, prior to that, I've always been, like, I always concentrated towards visual things and, you know, in the creative sense and always excelled in taking art classes and, you know, acting classes in high school and middle school and stuff. But photography-wise and, and filmmaking-wise, like, I didn't do any of that until pretty much after high school. And I got into it pretty seriously, like, that year after high school. And then within a year, that's when I basically applied to art school. And that's kind of what kicked off the whole journey. And what was, like, your first aesthetic experience before art school? Were you attracted to films? Did you get into any of, like, the photography surrounding the skater world, like Larry Clark or anything like that? Yeah, definitely, like, I mean, I definitely grew up in kind of a, the skater punk scene in South Jersey and in my high school. So, I mean, just, I think, naturally, you're around, you know, like, people filming a lot and, like other, you know, I had friends who were photographers, but for me, I never got into it. But I think that definitely kind of laid the, the groundwork in some ways because, you know, it's kind of goes hand in hand with that culture and kind of growing up, like I said, kind of more as a creative mind as opposed to just playing sports in high school or, or something else. So that was probably my first exposure to, like, the art world in that sense. And I say that, like, very loosely because it's, you know, it's southern New Jersey and it's... Mm-hmm fairly removed but I mean yeah even you know 17 years old I was taking trips up to New York City to go skateboard and hang out with friends so I think that that self definitely kind of I think started to kind of like set the stage for what was to come the next few years right and was there like a moment where you were starting to produce work where you were like oh I just had a breakthrough I think I found my my voice or my vision I want to move into this direction yeah, honestly, it, it's been this past year. <laughs> no shit. I mean, it's definitely taken, yeah, it's definitely taken a good amount of time. And obviously when you're in that process, it's a whole shit show and it's like a roller coaster ride, like how life is. But I think really, I would say, and I mean, I'm in the middle of it now as well. I don't, I don't, I don't think it ever gets to a point where it's just, you're there and then it's all the answers come to you. I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It's just always going to be all over the place in some ways, but I would say, yeah, probably this past year. So, I mean, it took me a good five, six years of really trying out what I thought were what I wanted as a creative and as a photographer and then choosing to kind of back away from those things and follow my own path and take some a few side steps and, you know, backtrack a little bit and kind of get away from it. And probably, yeah, this past year where I left L.A., got back on the road, to like really kind of refire that like creative fuel back up and rewire myself in ways where you know I wanted to see I kind of knew where I wanted to go 
in like the past year, year and a half, and I kind of feel like I need to stay out of LA and kind of get back to like the basics. And I think now, in hindsight, I mean, it was probably the best decision I could have made because this past like six months, I've really had that like light bulb go off where I'm like, oh, this makes a lot of sense now why all these different interests that may not necessarily go hand in hand now all of a sudden are kind of working together. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's cool to see like the fruits of your labor is actually starting to pay off, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm really curious to hear more about that because obviously this year is very unique and different than all other years. So I imagine it must have, you must have had to approach your job as a trucker and your job as a photographer very differently in the way that you probably have to do your job and the way that you approach people. So is there anything specific that you can point to or any kind of change that happened this year that made everything align perfectly? I mean, I think definitely a combination of both internal like work and also external and just, yeah, everything that has happened in the past year between COVID and social reform and all these things. But I mean, I left, I left out before really any of that hit. I mean, I left out last fall. So, you know, my intentions were at that point really just to focus on myself internally, but it kind of just in a weird way worked out where all this stuff hit and looking back and, and even in the middle of it, like I pretty quickly realized how grateful I was to be in this unique situation where I was removed from all of those things, but not in a way where I was ignoring them or not, you know, a part of them. Obviously, with, you know, a lot of friends and being in my early 30s and, you know, having opinions myself and just, you know, supporting all this change happening. But I think also it gave me, being on the road like that and, and, and having to focus most of your attention and energy every single day to, to the job itself, it definitely gave I feel like a better head on my shoulders to kind of really take a breath about everything and, you know, like really kind of think like, okay, like all this stuff is overwhelming and I see people that are scared and frustrated and, you know, I see them not only in cities, but middle America and rural parts, suburbia, like just kind of the whole gamut. And I think it, it gave me a perspective to really focus on like really listening to my own voice and trying to use that to, to share and like ultimately that be my role and trying to contribute to all of this positive reworking that we're, I think we're all going through right now. I mean, this has definitely been a year that is showing us ourselves in this very intense way. And has your day-to-day life as a trucker changed? Has the industry changed at all of this year since COVID hit? Yeah, it definitely, when when COVID first hit and, and things were like really on lockdown, I mean, fortunately I kept busy and I, there was never a point where there was no work, but it was definitely stressful in the sense that obviously with businesses being closed and a lot, you know, construction kind of coming to a halt in most parts of the country, there was just a lot less freight coming around. And I've, I've always hauled flatbed for the most part. So stuff I would haul is, you know, anything from, construction equipment to like oversized crane parts to military vehicles to I-beams for, you know, for bridges or so stuff like that. And I mean, that obviously took a hit for a minute just because of everything slowing down. Uh, And then obviously like, you know, you saw the immediate effects of wearing masks to truck stops and 
making sure to wear gloves, obviously, when you're fueling up, because it's just like, you know, obviously a fuel station is probably like the most contaminated place in terms of like, you know, people just constantly going and touching things. Uh, but I would say like, I mean, even with that, I think the biggest change that I saw was just kind of like the general energy out there. Like pretty quickly, I feel like everybody that I was interacting with, whether it was my boss or coworkers or customers at job sites or other truckers on the road, everyone kind of was just a lot more stressed out in general. And so I think it like really kind of challenged me in a way to, because I'm just really susceptible to people's energy. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, you know, I think it's a great thing as a creative to be very like empathetic in that way. But I also think it's for me personally, it becomes overwhelming at times. And it definitely, there was definitely times where I really had to like take a minute to myself to like try and process all the energy out there. Cause you know, I would just come across people that were just pissed off or angry and I knew it wasn't personal towards me, but you know, obviously just because of everything going on in the country and I think people just being a combination of scared and frustrated and misunderstood and not knowing really where to turn for answers. Yeah, man. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. And I imagine that your life as a trucker to be somewhat solitary, does that work for you? Does it impact your approach to photography? Yeah, I mean, it definitely complements, I think, that like that approach as a creative. And I think it's like, in a weird way, I've always described it to people as like trucking as as intense and like gritty and blue collar and like hands on it as it is. Also, I think because you're not only like driving so much every single day, you know, you're repeating that over and over and over, but also the job itself, like having to, you know, strap a load down or tarp it down or chain it down. And then just to like take it all off a couple of days later and then redo the same thing. It, it kind of becomes this like very meditative process as a whole. And I think for me that that really helped the past couple of years because I think it's really kind of helped me channel out a lot of like the distractions or kind of just like the different paths that I think we take as creatives to try and find our own voice. Oh, man, I think uh, that really resonates with me. I think finding something that is meditative and a routine is so helpful into helping you focus your creative practice. And I'm curious, do you approach people while you're working or while you're on the job? Do you introduce yourself as a photographer or as a truck driver when you meet somebody or you walk into a situation where you want to photograph? It's funny. It it totally depends on the situation of the person. I mean, I think the the first year I drove was kind of this amazing crash course and just how to connect with people. And, you know, I didn't I didn't expect that because I left out the intention of going out and working on a you know project and photographing other truckers and when I left out that first year to, to dive into it all I just didn't know what to expect and I thought I would just kind of focus on the creative side and you know the photographer in me and that whole year basically turned into almost like the pictures becoming secondary to me like really listening to people and understand trying to understand them and connect with them and I've definitely I mean that carried over 100% to the rest of my life and especially my approach as a creative to like any projects I work on because you know obviously as a creative it's all about 
connecting with others and sharing. And so, I mean, now with it, you know, not being my first rodeo and it's like this past year was as like stressful as it was with everything going on. It was also fun in a way because I was able to play around in that role a bit more. And I kind of have always looked at being a truck driver as like playing a role in a movie. I feel like I'm like acting this role. And so in that way, like that, I have fun with it where I'll just be in situations where sometimes I'm just like, you know what, I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm, you know, that I'm a photographer, director, creative. Like I'm just going to soak in the fact that, you know, these people are accepting me for just the face value of being this, this trucker right now and enjoying kind of the purity of that experience. And other times I think it's fun to type up like, yeah, you know, I'm a photographer, I'm, you know, aiming to write this script for a feature and, you know, I'd love to talk to you or photograph you or do some video because some people love the, love the attention. Some people hate the attention. So I think mean, it really, for me, it's really kind of all become my face it off of the experience and the people I'm, I'm interacting with. Well, I think you found a really fascinating uh, vehicle, literal and, and metaphorical, for presenting yourself and finding a way to integrate yourself with different people and different kind of communities. Have you ever met any other truck drivers with a side hustle or an artistic side hustle? Yeah, definitely. I mean, every once in a while, I mean, that's kind of the beauty. Like there's always obviously that cliche, like stereotype of like, just like the American trucker. And I think the beauty of trucking or one of them is nowadays, truck drivers come in every shape and form you know you can imagine i mean every culture every race you know every little like facet of society you know you have a trucker version of that so i you know in that way i've definitely come across people who you know do it and just find like unique ways of making it work for them in their life i actually went to the college i went to i went to school of visual arts in new york and at the time um, I was a student. I actually met somebody who was working there, who had actually gone out like as a creative, as a photographer, and to become a truck driver. And they basically drove like long haul on the East Coast. I think that that definitely inspired me because you know as a student in art school, kind of seeing somebody do that, and then obviously already having the connection with my own my own dad being a trucker. I think that that definitely was like a very early on planting of a seed where I was like, oh wow. That's pretty amazing that somebody can like go out just this totally different world and, and take a creative approach to it. Totally. And I think there's like a double standard for people coming out of art school where they could never imagine themselves doing a blue collar job and they don't ever see it in the way that you do where you're able to do your job effectively and and totally inhabit that role, but also use it as a way to fueling your creative practice. Yeah, I mean, it's something, like I said, I mean, it's not like I had this all figured out and it's all this master plan. I mean, I definitely have, like, you know, the big picture ambitions, and I've always had that in my, in my head. But, I mean, the the balance and that kind of, like, yin and yang of the two different worlds, I mean, I, I don't think I've really come to understand that in a more focused lens, and, you know, up until this past year. So, like I said, it's kind of taken me a good five or six years to really kind of hone in on that. And do you think there's like a connection for you and the dichotomy of the stillness of photography and the constant motion of being on the road? Oh, definitely. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I've kind of always had, I've always been attracted to that, like that romance of 
the idea of like longing and yearning for something and I think in this weird way the universe like gifted me truck driving as this literal like it just never ends you know it just goes on and on and on and literally like the endless highway so I think in you know in that way I kind of manifested what I've kind of always been interested in as like an emotion and a feeling would you say that's what you were yearning and longing for maybe not specifically but I think more so just that that feeling around it that emotion around it I mean I'm definitely like a romantic in that sense but I also know that like I definitely like get off to that idea of like the rawness and the grit and I think again like I said I didn't expect it but I think truck driving just became this this perfect intersection for me of those two worlds where on one hand it can be like soft and beautiful and these moments of kind of just bliss and then five minutes later you can be in this incredibly stressful or like just dirty gritty situation and I think just the like the dichotomy of those two things back and forth back and forth day after day I think for some reason it just resonates with me and do you see your photos as being part of a bigger series that you're working towards they do stand alone like your images are very beautiful you know like they're it's not like conceptual work so to speak but it also seems like if you include your narrative and your own story into it it seems like it could turn into something more multimedia and more conceptual yeah i mean i think just like like i said the past you know five six years navigating all this and especially with trucking and this past year going back into it i it really made me needing to have so much structure like preconception around a project you know where like it's like all right i'm going out and doing this and it's going to be a photo book or it's going to be a you know a gallery show i think i put so much stress on myself a couple of years ago when i was in the editorial world and trying to define myself as this very specific kind of photographer and looking up to people that you know trying to accomplish the things that i i thought were that version of success and i kind of realized for me personally that that's not where i want to go or just what i want to do and not that i think that there's anything wrong with that or i have the utmost, you know I, I love that i admire people that just absolutely kill it in that way but for me i think it was this past year especially or a couple of years it's been all about kind of just like letting go of all those ideas of what i think a successful creative needs to be and especially now with like the way social media works and even more so now with with covid and brands and galleries and all these things trying to like reinvent the way they're they're doing things and sharing work and like for me I just I'm excited because I feel like it's this great time to kind of just play around with things and you know you can go work on these really personal projects or whatever it is and and not have it be in this context of like it has to be a photo book or it has to be a gallery show or you know for me I I think my best results have come from just the idea of being like, all right, I'm just going to like use my social media or like my day to day as a creative, as like a mood board, you know, and just get out there and make pictures, make video and see what happens. And I, I think for me personally, letting go of that like stress that I have on myself of needing it to be a certain way, it, it definitely helps me kind of just organically start to, you know, my interests take shape. And that's how I think for me the filmmaking and directing kind of just came about where I just realized one day like wait a second I'm more excited about filmmaking and about directing and that's where I need to go 
And who's the most memorable person you met on the job? Most memorable person? That's a good question. <laughs> huh. That's a, that's a really tough question to answer. There's, you just meet so many characters. I feel like so many moments where you like, even just like meeting people in passing that really kind of stand out. But I'm really trying to think like this past year, you at least, I don't know if it's the most, but one of the most memorable people was this caviar captain that I met down in Louisiana when I was down there like probably three months ago. And I ended up having a day off in like southern Louisiana in the bayous. And I just kind of like convinced myself, I was like, all right, I'm going to find somebody to take me out in the swamps. I've always wanted to go check out the swamps and like really see like the backwoods of, you know, the Louisiana Bayou. And so I just started making random phone calls, and talking to people in, in, this, in Morgan City, Louisiana, about somebody to take me out. And I got connected to this guy who goes by Captain Caviar. And fortunately, he agreed to take me out on his boat, show me like the swamps for the afternoon. And he told me his whole story. And like, that's like one of those experiences where I'm like, this probably would have never happened if I was driving, if I wasn't driving a truck. That's amazing. And what about this project that you had started called the Nevada Mirage? It's funny because that actually has like, that kind of came from my first year of truck driving. Um, I've always been fascinated with, with Nevada in general, like the state, just the culture. And it kind of feels like one of the last, like, really wild, like, parts of the Wild West. And um, my first year of truck driving, probably, like, two or three months into that year, I was driving from, I think, Oregon down to California or Arizona and Instead of taking 15 down through Nevada, like through Utah and stuff, I ended up taking 95, which runs basically like north to south to south to north in Nevada. Kind of like small, like highway, but you know, kind of like off the beaten path. So I was driving that like middle of the night, and I kept seeing signs for an alien themed like gas station truck stop brothel, and I was like, like. <laughs> I was like, this can't be real. There's no way. And sure enough, you know, I finally, like, come up to it. I I parked the truck just to kind of, like, scope out and, like, take in what this whole situation was. And at the time, honestly, I was, like, too intimidated to even, like, get out and really explore for some reason. So I kind of just sat my my truck for, like, 15, 20 minutes at, like, 2 in the morning just checking out this place. And anyways, in Amargosa Valley... Nevada and it's you know an alien themed truck stop convenience store restaurant and there's an actual brothel attached to it that's like you know fully open and I'll never forget it like sitting there at two in the morning and I watched a trucker come out from the brothel and him and I like locked eyes and he just kind of just gave me this look like almost like embarrassment but almost like like I caught him or something <laughs> I'm reason like that look that, that look just burned into me and I, I just always remembered it and fast forward I finished you know that went to that year of trucking moved back to New York and then probably about two years later I was looking to go back out to Nevada to kind of just work on a personal project 
kind of just about the areas all around all the military installations north of, of Vegas. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to start in Amargosa Valley. I remember that, that brothel. I'll go there and spend, you know, maybe a couple hours trying to photograph that area and just start doing this whole circle around. And I went there and I actually ended up talking. I actually went into the brothel, talked to, like, people who owned it, and a couple hours turned into me staying in that area for, like, three days. I ended up shadowing two of the women who worked at the brothel and, you know, photographed them, like, got to know their stories, like, would go out for walks in the desert with them because they loved, like, walking in the desert, trying to find little rocks and crystals. Like, they were, like, super into geology on their free time. So it kind of just, like, turned into this amazing experience of spending two, three days at this brothel where they basically gave me full access to kind of just, like, share these stories of these women and, and kind of get, like, an inside scoop of what really goes on in a brothel. And, I mean, it was kind of just, like, a blessing because I walked away from that feeling blessed to have, like, met these two amazing women with, I mean, just amazing stories and amazing life, like, and circumstances to end up working there. And, you know, that kind of, like, just added to my, like, fascination with, still to this day, like, with Nevada in general. I mean, I love spending time in Nevada because, again, it's just such a weird and wild place. I have to say, as a photographer, that really seems like a dream situation, especially I feel like there's so many places that I'd seen. And actually, I think I was just in this place that you're talking about. They sell like beef jerky there now, right? At the Alien Rest Stop. Yeah, there's a couple of places like all around that do that. I'm not sure if that was in Amargosa Valley, but yeah, there's there's the E.T. Highway on the other side of all the military installations. That's 93 and there's a bunch of those little shops that sell alien jerky and shit like that. <laughs> but it's so <laughs> it's so cool that you were able to not only remember that place, but return to it, having conceptualized your approach and how you were going to go about talking to these people and photographing them. And I'm really curious to hear what were the circumstances that brought these women to that brothel? Because I think Nevada is the only state where that's legal, right? Yeah, and it's also, it's, it's per county. So, you know, like, I mean, legalized prostitution, like, for example, isn't, isn't legal in Clark County, which is where Las Vegas is. So that's why these brothels are kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Cause they, they basically build them on the very edges of the, the county borders. And then based on the county is where they're legal to operate. So that's why most of the brothels are, are in northern Nevada, central Nevada, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But, um, I mean, the stories of those women were just so fascinating because, I mean, they were so multifaceted, like, just came from all different backgrounds. But the two women that I spent the most time with, one of them was, an old, was older, like, middle-aged, probably early early 40s. And she was, like, you know, she had three children, was from Washington originally. And she was kind of, like, just like this, like, motherly figure who took it upon herself to look out for all the other younger girls. And so I kind of always found that fascinating and, like, talked to her a lot about just, like, playing that role. And, you know, she felt this responsibility to kind of, like, pass on the experience and, like, also help out these women. Because as you can imagine, that world can be and is not only dangerous, but it's sketchy. And it's just, there's a lot of, like, inkiness around that. As, like, and I, I respect, like, the hustle of it. You know, I think it's, I think it's really amazing that somebody, if that's what they truly like to do and they're not, they're not being forced to do it anyway. I think that's 
that's an amazing thing. It's just like another another version of like the American dream in a way. Get it however you can. Yeah, definitely. But you know, obviously in those worlds, it is very dangerous for as as a moment. And just hearing some of those stories that they would tell me, but I mean, in this weird way, I feel like the couple of days I spent at that brothel. I mean, the biggest takeaway I think I had was just like really how strong those women were, and how like in a lot of ways how empowered they felt by what they were doing. I you know that's definitely something I didn't expect going into that into that whole situation. Did it seem like it was a temporary gig, or was it something they kind of sought out to do? For some of them, I mean, temporary, but also, like, that older woman, for example, I mean, she had been doing it for close to, like, 20 years. So wow. she was kind of like a lifer, a lifer in that sense. And, I mean, you know, it's, you got you to always take, like, people's stories with a grain of salt in some ways. But I also feel like, fortunately, I've been around enough, like, characters, truck driving, and just all these, like, travels that... I like usually, you know, kind of bullshitting. And I mean, she would tell me stories about working undercover for the DEA on like to expose escort rings and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's just like you can never judge a book by its cover. I mean, you know, you can assume one thing and you talk to somebody for 15, 20 minutes and your mind is kind of blown by like just how fascinating their story really is. Were they really interested in you as well? I imagine to come across a person like yourself must be equally as exotic to them. Yeah, it definitely in a way. I mean, it's it certainly, like back then, I mean, that was like one of my first experiences. They're like early on of like really throwing myself in these very foreign environments. So it was great for me to really learn how to like navigate that. And obviously going into them, you know, at the time of, uh, with 26 or something like going to an environment that's like you know a sex work environment you got people and be very like transparent about what you're looking to do otherwise you kind of just get the you know you get the kick in the ass like get out of here right and so fortunately you know fortunately after you know a couple hours of them like feeling me out they were I think they realized like oh this guy is like legitimately curious and interested to like share our stories and not try and make it seem a certain way or just like hey this is what it's like to work in you know to be in a brothel because you know, I think anybody can assume on the surface what it's like but then you go in there and it's like anything else in life it's, you know everyone's got their own story and you know it's like everyone's got kind of something to say about it this might be a weird way to end the conversation but as someone who has a <laughs> foot in both blue collar work and the art world and as somebody who's been on the road for as many years as you have, give me a read of where your head and heart are at. What has it been like to do this and to watch America drastically change? I mean, it definitely weighs heavy on my heart, I'll be honest. I mean, that's part of the reason why I felt like I had to stop driving and kind of just give myself space to breathe from it because, I, you know, I think as anyone who has any sense of empathy it's just tough to see people every single day struggling and I think everybody right now sees that and feels it whether it's you know with their loved ones or at their job or in the city that city they live in or town but I think it's not in a better or worse or 
more or less way, but just in a different way, traveling the country and seeing all the different versions of that constantly, day after day after day, it's it starts to really weigh heavy on you. And I think for me, I, I hit that point like a month or so ago or a month and a half ago where I realized like, okay, like now is the time for me to, like my responsibility is to now take all of everything that I've kind of soaked in this past year and now really apply that to these upcoming creative projects that are, you know, based on or inspired from all of this, as opposed to just continuing myself, like in that cycle of being in it and seeing it and interacting with it. Cause obviously that's, that's a blessing. You know, I feel blessed to in a weird way, be able to suffer with people like that and, and relate to them and connect with them and give myself these little challenges and, you know, not let somebody's negative energy get to me or, try and make somebody laugh or smile that I can tell is having a really rough time. You know, then in turn, it makes me laugh or smile if I'm having a rough day. But I think, you know, my head and heart right now are in a place where I feel like for whatever reason, I have a responsibility to really step up and share these stories as a creative. You know, I, I feel like I can't ignore that for whatever reason, just drawn to not only connecting, but wanting to translate that to a story or, you know, whether it's through pictures or a film or whatever the case may be. But my head and heart are based in this place where I feel like I'm, I'm kind of this bridge that can hopefully, or I'm trying to help bridge this gap or maybe make these differences that we have in our heads about each other a little bit less because like, you know, being out and seeing it every single day, you know, for me at least, I feel blessed to kind of realize that it's like we're all kind of the same in a lot of ways, you know. It's, it's when we sit back and we watch the news or we get caught up in our own lives, I think it's easy to, to look out there and feel like somebody that's on the complete opposite spectrum, whether it's politically or culturally or whatever, is such a different person or just has nothing in common. But then you go and sit down with somebody and you realize, like, most, you know, 99% of people are just like you and I, and they have feelings, they have insecurities, and we're all trying to kind of figure those things out. So for me, it's like, all right, you know, how do I now move forward in a way where I can really try and tell these stories, try and help bring people together as opposed to more of the divide that I feel like a lot of us think that is going on right now in this country. I think that's a perfect place to end it, man. I, I hope this podcast can be a continuation of you sharing your story and telling other people's stories. Uh, I want to thank you for talking with me, man. This is really cool. Yeah, likewise, man. I appreciate it.